Our desire is to see the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And our, our desire this, this summer is to track that, that movement. I mean, we are the result of that. Jesus stood on the side of the, of the mountain and said, hey, I want you to take the gospel in this city, in this area, ultimately to every corner of the earth. And that is exactly what's happened. And so we've been tracking the, uh, the movement of the gospel, and we're going we're gonna to follow it as it begins to move to the ends of the earth. Up to this point, uh, the, the, the church, the first century church, has been beyond legit. I mean, two sermons, 25,000 people have understood their need for a Savior, have given their lives to Christ as a result of these two sermons. After, after that, they, the, the, uh, the, the religious leaders were having none of this. They, they were, they were, they were uh, frustrated by this movement. They thought they had stamped it out when they got rid of the leader. And so they, they are, are frustrated that, that it's kind of popped back up, that this movement, this idea of Christianity, this idea of following Jesus has, has come back to life. And they are not happy about it. So after these two sermons, after over 10% of the city of Jerusalem has given their life to Christ, the religious leaders made a move to get rid of the, of the current leaders, Peter and John. So they threw them in jail. They left them there overnight. They said, stop talking about this guy named Jesus. Peter, right before he was released, said, I can't stop talking. We will not stop talking about what we have seen and what we've heard. And they're dismissed. The end of chapter 4 in the book of Acts tells us that all of the Christians had everything in common. Basically what that meant was this. When the believers saw a need in their community, saw a need in, uh, among the people, among the followers of Christ, they were willing to, willingly, compelled by the Holy Spirit, to pool their resources together and give to those that were in need. They would, they would bring their resources together. They would sell off things. They would help other people that were in need willingly under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. And the, 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 the last bit of chapter 4 ends with this small little story that about a guy named Barnabas. Uh, his name meant encourager. Barnabas understood or knew about, was told about, some particular need. We don't know what it is. It doesn't tell us in the Bible. But it tells us that he had a plot of land, he had a, a piece of property, he knew about a need, so he sold the piece of property, took the, the money from selling that, uh, that, that piece of land, gave it to the apostles, and the apostles divvied up the money from the land as they saw fit. And chapter 4 ends. And we're introduced to a guy named Ananias at the beginning of chapter 5. Ananias has seen what Barnabas did. He saw how Barnabas heard about a need, took a piece of land, took a piece of his own property, sold it, took all the resources from it, gave it to the apostles, and needs were met as a result. Ananias was in the middle of that and saw this take place. And he also saw how the group, how the church, how these followers of the way, the early first century Christians, responded to Barnabas as a result of his generosity. 
And Ananias and his wife Sapphira wanted to have the same standing amongst their community that Barnabas had. They wanted people to think about them the same way they thought about Barnabas. They wanted them to talk about their family the same way they talked about Barnabas. But it doesn't go according to plan. So we pick up the story in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So they're following the same, the same blueprint of Barnabas. They took a piece of property that they owned, and they sold it. And with his wife's knowledge, that's important, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, Ananias and Sapphira decide they're going to take this piece of property that they own. They're going to sell it off like Barnabas. They're going to get the proceeds from it. And they're going to, they're going to hold back some, probably most of the proceeds. They're going to take a small part of the money that they got from that piece of property. They're going to give it to the apostles. And they're going to act like they did the same thing that Barnabas did. That they gave everything. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Wasn't it yours? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? The money that you made from it, wasn't that yours? Didn't God give that to you? I mean, it was yours. You didn't have to lie about it. It was yours. Next verse. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man. You haven't lied to me, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, Sapphira, his wife, came in, not knowing what had happened to her husband, Ananias. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, we sold it for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead. They carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. I guess so. <laughs> I guess they were scared. Because Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. And it cost them their life. Now, there's a lot of things that we can look at in this passage, in this text. Um, and obviously the main one would be talking about, you know, the justification of losing their life for lying to the Holy Spirit and and those sorts of things, we can talk about that. But there's really one thing that I want to dial in on. There's one thing that I want to dial in on this morning. And it's this. 
from the very beginning of the church, from the first century all the way to today, and I would dare say, from here until the Lord comes back, whenever that may be, the church has battled hypocrisy. There have been, from the very beginning, starting with Ananias and Sapphira, all the way to today, and even beyond us, if the Lord so tarries, there will be among us in the church hypocrites. Let me give you the definition of hypocrisy. It's this. It says a pretense. It's a pretense of having a virtuous character. It is professing moral or religious beliefs and principles that one does not really possess. And isn't that exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did? I mean, they, they, they wanted the people that they were around. They wanted the church. They wanted other people that they lived with. They wanted their community to think more highly of them, to, to look at them in a better light than they really were. Ananias and Sapphira did not come before God and say, God, you know what? I saw the way that Barnabas, I saw the way that Barnabas has a, a generous, generous life and a generous heart. Father, I don't have that right now. But God, would you, under the power of your Holy Spirit, give that to me? Father, here's the thing that I understand. Everything that I have is yours. Everything, every, every breath that I breathe, every resource that I own, all of that, every business that I own, all of that is yours. And Father, as a result of that, because I'm acknowledging that, every relationship that I have, it, it belongs to you ultimately. And as a result of that, I'm going to live my life with an open hand. Father, you can, you can bring what into my life whatever you want, and you can take it away. It's all yours anyway. Ananias and Sapphira did not do that. Instead, they wanted people to believe that they had. And as a result, they lived a life of hypocrisy. A church that I was on staff at, right out of seminary, um, there was a, a couple in, in our church that um, came to the pastor. I was not the pastor there, um, but came to the pastor and told about uh, an affair that the wife was having. He said that the, the couple came and, and she said, Pastor, this is, this is what's going on. This is, this is, I'm not proud of it. This is what's been going on in my life. And, and we desire for you to help us as a couple walk through this very dark time. The pastor said, you know what? I'd love to do that. I, I want to walk with you. I want to see your, your family healed. I want to I help you. But here's the thing that you have to understand. We got to make sure that this information does not get out of my office. I'm a, as a leader, this, this couple was a, a pretty um, important leader in our church at the time. And so the pastor said, I'm not joking. He said, because you're a leader, I don't want people in our church to think less of you because they know this information. So we need to keep it on the down low. That is stupid. <laughs> and that is why a constant drum that I beat around here is this. 
We do not have to show up on Sunday morning with our Sunday best and pretend like everything is fine. How's everything going? I'm just awesome. My family is awesome. My kids are awesome. My job is awesome. I'm, awesome is my middle name. Every, everything is just awesome. Awesome, awesome all the time. Because when we live like that, we think that that's what, what we have to, to talk like. When we show up here on Sunday morning, we are allowing hypocrisy to take hold, really a stranglehold of our life and ultimately of our church. That is why I constantly beat this drum about the gospel. The gospel has outed you, and it has outed me. I am a terrible human being at my heart level. My heart is dark. I do things that I don't want to do. I lie when it's easier to tell the truth, but I'm just bent towards lying. I am a liar. And when I understand that the gospel has already said that about me, it is much easier for me to show up here on Sunday morning and say, you know what? This week, I was a terrible, terrible husband to Mary Jo. And in doing so, not allow hypocrisy to have a stranglehold in my life and have a stranglehold on our church. That is why we are we push groups so much here at Wellspring. I'm a firm believer that there is one person or two people in this world that should know everything about you. I mean, there should be zero secrets. They show up and they say, hey, Scott, I heard something. And the first thought of your heart is, oh, well, you already know everything anyway. You should never go. There, there should be one or two people in this world that when they show up, they know everything. I mean, everything about you. Now, that's not something that you show up here on Sunday morning and you just, oh, well, this week I did this and this week I, you know, back there, back in my, in my previous life, I acted like this. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying there are two, one or two people. I'm a firm believer that there are one or two people in this world that should know everything about you. You may say, yeah, I've got that one person that's my spouse, and I think they should. But I also believe that it's wise to have one more person. If you're single, to have one or two people that they, they just know everything about you. And then on top of that, have a group that is, that, that, that is home for you. A home group or a, or a community group, a group of people. And they, don't, they may not know everything about you, but, but they know a lot of things that are going on in your life. You show up on, 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 to your group on Sunday night or a Wednesday night. You say, look, here's the thing. There's a guy at work that's flirting with me, and I like it. I mean, I don't want to like it. I don't want to like it. But I do if I'm being honest. And would you help me to walk in a way that honors Christ? I'm not going to show up on church on Sunday morning and talk about how awesome my job is because it's not right now. There should be a group that you can show up to, a handful of people that you have surrounding your life. You can say, you know what? My marriage is a wreck. My kids, they're on the, the edge of disaster. Would you come alongside and pray for me and help me and walk with me? Give me guidance. You know, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, where we live, 
It's easy to get guys together around a, a, a TV to watch football games and fellowship. I'll fellowship like a boss like that. <laughs> <laughs> but asking men to come into my life and to fellowship around my weaknesses, that's not easy. Ladies, same for you. You can get people together. You can get your friends together, ladies together, over food, hanging out. You'll do that every day, all day. But asking women to come into your life and fellowship around your weaknesses, that's not easy to do. And when we're unwilling, we're committing the same sin that cost Ananias and Sapphira their life. We're hoping, we're praying, we are pretending to be something we're, we're not. Our life is a veneer. And the inside that nobody can see is a wreck. And that's the definition of hypocrisy. And it is my prayer, under the power of the gospel, it is my prayer that that would not be the case at Wellspring Church. And more importantly, it would not be the case in your life and in mine. I would encourage you to invite one or two people in to know everything about you. And then to surround yourself with a smaller, a little bit bigger, but a smaller group of people in your home group or, or in, in a group that, that know more things than you're willing or, or able to share in, in a large group setting like this. They know your struggles. They know difficulties. They may not know details. That's not any of their business. But they know that things are going on in your life. They can come alongside. They can encourage. They can challenge. They can pray. Because hypocrisy has been leveled, and it's been leveled rightly against the church since the beginning of time. And I pray that would not be the case for our church. I pray that it would not be the case for you. And the reason, it's not just because I'm sitting up here and, and trying to, to sound more religious and better than I really am. I'm not at all. It's because of this. The gospel has already said the truth, has already told the truth about you. You are a sinner. You are messed up. You, your heart is dark. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why God sent his son. Because of that reality. And the great news is he offers pardon from it. He says, God, God says, I will take under, the, under the, the, the banner of my son, I will take that darkness and I will, I will push it, I will do away with it, I will throw it as far as the east is from the west. I will get rid of it and in its place I will give you my son's righteousness. That is how I will look at you. It's the great transaction of the gospel. And when we live this life of a veneer, we do not understand what the gospel really teaches. I was going to walk through the rest of chapter 5, but I'm not going to do that. We don't have time. 
This tonight in your home groups. I hope you'll walk through that. You'll look at some awesome discussion that happens throughout the rest of the chapter. But I pray, if you don't have those people in your life today, you're not involved in a group, you don't have it surrounded yourself with people that know the junk that's in your life and I love you anyway and challenge you to not stay there, I would strongly encourage you to invite a couple people into your life to make sure that you're not living a life of hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the reality that you have already outed us. We are sinful creatures, and we've done it on our own accord. But God, you have given us the opportunity to have the transaction that is eternally valuable. Your righteousness for our junk, for our sin. And so, because of that reality, Lord, I pray we would invite people into our lives to know what's going on. They would know the truth about us, about our families, and would love us enough to pray for us, to challenge us, to move us towards more Christ, to, to move us towards Christ's likeness each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.